Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to share our podcast has been nominated in Boise Weekly's annual Best of Boise contest. And while it's an honor to be nominated, I have to admit it would be even more fun to win. If we've helped you connect to the city you love, go to the link in the show notes to vote for us by May 23rd. Thanks, Boise. Today on CityCast Boise, high school graduation is this week, so Boise School Board member Shiva Rajbandari is here to talk with us about serving as an elected official while also being a student. We get into a recent survey about students' mental health, his highly publicized Twitter dust-up with the governor, and why the Idaho GOP is scared of Gen Z. It's Tuesday, May 23rd. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is what Boise's talking about. Hi, Shiva. Welcome to CityCast Boise. Hey, Emma. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, My pleasure. Um, I want to start by saying uh, congrats on your first time saying the F word to the governor on Twitter. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. I I don't actually know if it was the first time, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, certainly, certainly, you know, uh, when I started this job, it was when I was like, all right, I guess I got to stop tweeting what the hell at the governor every single day. So um, I, but I, it's funny because you got kind of some pushback on that, and it's interesting. Just I read, a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> some people very upset, and it was interesting to me. I mean, I'm a comedian. You can probably guess where I fall on speaking power to authority and and making making some noise. But I, I liked what you said in a follow up tweet that you felt like you know that to suggest profanity is more harmful than you know HB seventy one, the anti transgender affirming healthcare law for for kids that that that's going to do more to the trans community than your language is going to do to the governor. Do you want to expand on that at all? Yeah. I mean, what I said to the governor is basically what the governor said to trans and non-binary youth around our state. And I think the only difference is that my words didn't come with, uh, you know, a law that basically outlaws these kids' existence, whereas the governor's did. And I think what's what's most upsetting is there are so many other real issues that we're facing in Idaho. You know, we're, we're still 49th in the country for education funding. And, you know, we still have some of the highest rates of, of suicide and of struggles with mental health. And to see hateful legislation like this come out of the legislature is, you know, just really demoralizing um, because we deserve elected officials who are focusing on the real issues. And, and this kind of culture war politics that our Republican supermajority is playing is is really not in the best interest of, of anyone. And I think, honestly, you know, one of the things the legislature might not have considered is that these kids are going to leave the state. And maybe they want that, but these are some of our brightest, most incredible young people. And they don't feel welcome here anymore. Yeah, I, I think that's really, really well said. And I thought... By the way, I just want to tell you, I thought you handled the whole thing like a real class act. And, you know, it really speaks, I think, to your generation's experience. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I think the pearl clutching really is 
hypocritical and, and unfortunate. But I think there is a case to be made that, you know, if you're on the school board, you're representing students and, and you, that, that you hold yourself in a way that students and families feel, you know, welcome to engage. Um, and I think obviously I, I, I didn't do that. And that's certainly a learning opportunity for, for me. But I hope that we as a community can move on from this and focus on the real issue here, which is that our legislature has you know, attacked the fundamental rights of our trans and non-binary kids and is going after our LGBTQ plus community and our teachers and our schools. And you know, we had to stand up and fight back when our siblings and our allies and our friends are on the line. See, classy again. Well, I don't want to hold you up on that too much. So love your responses. But let's move on because I want to talk to you about your time serving as an elected official on the school board. What has that experience been like for you? You know, coming in, I thought the school board would really be the end all be all of education decision making in our district. And what I've learned is that there's just so many folks who are involved. And it is such an incredible process that we go through in the Boise School District to make sure that the way that we are approaching problems, the way that we are approaching the day-to-day activities of, in, in our schools is balanced and is, you know, well thought out. You know, there are so many educational professionals who I've had the opportunity to work with over the last, you know, eight months. And it's just been, you know, the, the honor of my lifetime for sure. And, and, I, and I think there has been a lot of value that I've added to. It's really hard to focus on things that, that don't have to do with, with school when you've got a student there who's telling you, you know, th- these are the problems that, that we're facing. It is frustrating at times because, you know, change is slow and, and our district is a huge district and it's important that we take into account the uh, opinions of all of our constituents. You know, we have 26,000 students in our district um, and we represent a community of over 200,000 people. Um, and that means turning the ship is really hard. Sometimes it's, it's really exciting though, too. One of the things that was just rolled out this year was the learner-focused system in our district. And um, it's, it is a model of collective autonomy for teaching that really empowers students to understand not just what they're learning, but why they're learning it and how they learn best and really take control of their learning. And that's something that I've seen be deployed in, in my own classes, which has been really incredible and really enlightening to see like, wow, this is something we were just talking about the other day at the board meeting. And now I'm seeing that right now, hands-on in the classroom. Wow, that sounds really cool. I I could have used that as a kid in school for (laughs) sure. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Any big takeaways, any big lessons learned, like things maybe you do different? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of lessons learned. Um, don't say the F word on Twitter. <laughs> would, be, would be one. That, that comes to mind really easy. Um, and, I, and then I think also um, just keeping the focus on our schools and our students and remembering, you know, the reason I ran for, for the seat, the reason we all serve on this board is because we care deeply about public education. Uh, what's your plan for the rest of your term? Do you plan on staying at the whole role? Yeah, I do plan on serving the full two years because I think it's really important to have 
a student perspective on the board. What's unfortunate is I will be graduating and then I will no longer have that same perspective. And so I think I, I'm really excited to, to continue engaging with our student advisory committee. Um, and then also I think what's exciting about the student advisory committee is there will be a ton more students coming up that will already be trained, which will allow them to be a lot more effective and shaping the policies of our district. And so this is really a long run thing for, for me and for our school district. I want to talk to you about um, this survey that was done by the Boise School District about student mental health. And it said that uh, 30% of junior high students and 44% of high schoolers are depressed and that 29% of junior high students and 34% of high schoolers say that they've struggled with suicidal ideation in the last six months. Those numbers are huge. Were you surprised by that at all? You know, unfortunately, I was not surprised at all. Um, you know, being on the ground in, in our high schools and our junior highs every day, I see the effects that, you know, mental health is, is having on students' learning and, and on students' well-being. And I think, you know, it, it's kind of an unfortunate reality that this is something that we have to deal with in schools because really schools should be about learning. You know, they shouldn't be about solving all the problems that we have in our society. But, you know, we've seen so little leadership in other segments of our government that this is something that we have to take on and it's something that we have to recognize. Um, and so I was really glad that the, the district did this survey because that was in and of itself was a huge step forward. And I remember taking the survey with with my peers. And at first, I think we all were like, oh, it's just going to be another one of those kind of false dichotomy kind of surveys that we sometimes get. But no, it was very in-depth and very, um, very clear like that our district wants the data and wants to understand how we can better support students' mental health. Um, but seeing data like this, I think, really shows what I've kind of been saying all along, which is that we need a holistic approach to, to mental health because it is really a system-wide issue. Um, and it's not new. You know, the same data um, we saw in 2019, where something like 11% of Idaho students had considered or, or had actually taken steps towards suicide um, in the previous six months. So this is not something that's new with the pandemic, but the pandemic has certainly exacerbated it and hopefully put more of a spotlight on it too. This is kind of a huge question. And you mentioned the pandemic and I'm, I know that's obviously a piece of it, but like, do you have, in your opinion, I suppose, do you know what's causing this? You know, I have a high schooler, I have a junior high kid, I have a kid in college, uh, and this is exactly what I'm seeing, uh, that a lot of their friends are talking about mental health, struggling with mental health. Do you have a sense for the the root of that? You know, that was something that I asked Dr. Smith, the, the researcher at Boise State, whose team really conducted the survey. And, you know, it's hard to identify. But as we look into some of the data, you know, we see that it really is stress. Um, and we see that it's also academic pressure. But certainly, I think school start time is a big thing that we can address that it's been shown nationwide to, to improve mental health outcomes. Um, I think providing mental health classes and curriculum is really important too. I know, you know, at times when I've personally struggled with my mental health, sometimes I just don't even know what to do. I don't even know who to turn to. And we have these incredible counselors in our district, but our student to counselor ratio is so high, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to get access to them and, and they're often doing administrative work, right? Helping students sign up for classes, writing letters of recommendation for college. Um, and that means Students who, who have mental health needs sometimes don't get those met or at least don't think that they can get those met um, because they see how busy the counselor is. Um, and so I think improving access to, to mental health resources and um, expanding our counseling program 
um, is another great way to, to approach this. Well, that's great. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, I want to ask you about recently you did uh, an op-ed for the statesman about youth voter suppression. And I wanted to ask you, do you think the Idaho G- GOP is scared of Gen Z? Are you kidding? <laughs> I, the GOP nationwide is scared of Gen Z. And I think if you look mm. at the, the numbers, you know, the folks who turn out for Biden, um, over more than a supermajority of, of my generation is, is voting blue. Um, and I think what's important to remember, and I think it's important for Democrats also not to take this for granted, because more than any other generation, more than any other segment of society, Gen Z fundamentally believes that it's not the parties, but it's the people versus the corporations, right? And the people who are controlling our government are not always aligned with the interests of, of the majority. And so I think, you know, the, the recent slew of voter suppression legislation that we've seen, and I commented on this a bit in that, in that op-ed, really is reflective of this movement in the Republican Party in recognizing that their voters are, are declining and soon they'll be in the minority. Old white men are, are, are not a majority of America anymore and certainly not a majority of, of voters. And every time I see voter suppression legislation, yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, why are they doing this? Like, we got to protect the right to vote. Um, but I, I also get a little bit giddy because it means that another, you know, group of leaders in our country has recognized that, holy shit, Gen Z is coming and, and we're going to, you know, tear things up. And it, it pre- presents an existential threat for fascism and for xenophobia that we're seeing in in the, the right and the far right. You know, we saw this, the biggest voter suppression law ever passed in Georgia ahead of the 2022 midterms. And, you know, that bill alone could possibly be credited for boosting youth turnout and black and brown turnout enough to get out the vote for Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. And so, and so this legislation is, is honestly just, um, it, it's honestly a little bit sad. Um, and I think generally far-right politics are a little bit sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, no disagreement for me there. Uh, well, you're graduating uh, in like, uh, you're done with school in like a couple of days and you're graduating in like a week and you're a presidential scholar, which is incredible. Congratulations. And I also thought, I thought it was uh, really gracious and very sweet that when you announced you're a presidential scholar, instead of taking all the credit for yourself, you did a lot of like, this is my teachers. These are the coaches. You know, I thought that was a, a very cool thing to remind that one kid who becomes a presidential scholar has hundreds of people who help them get there. Yeah, so many people. I think, you know, everything that I've done in my life is, is thanks to public education. Seriously, everything. And the opportunities that I've been provided within the Boise School District in public schools, the choice that I, the choices that I had as a public school student far surpassed any choices that I've seen any private school be able to offer. I am just so, so grateful um, to all the educators out there. And I think, you know, the presidential scholarship is kind of a funny thing that we do, especially, you know, given all the conversation that we hear from, from the National Department of Education about equity, because it's based on these standardized test scores, which we know, you know, Rich, affluent students have more access to studying, have more free time to study. You know, SAT scores are, are like fundamentally not a good measurement of student academic achievement. And so I think it's important to remember that for every presidential scholar, there are thousands of students out there who are working dang hard and who deserve 
so much more credit. Um, and I'm just lucky to, to um, really have, have the resources that I think every student deserves to be able to succeed within the education system that we have set up. Absolutely. Uh, love teachers. Do Pay teachers more always. Um, and I'm so excited for you to graduate and can't wait to see what you do next. And yeah, just keep kicking ass out there, Shiva. <laughs> Thanks so much, Emma. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And Shiva and some of his peers have some news to share. They've created a fund to provide scholarships and medical travel resources for LGBTQ plus students in Idaho. The scholarship is a direct response to the legislature and Governor Brad Little's passage of HB 71, the law that bans health care for trans minors. It's named after Eve Devitt, a Boise High School student and trans rights activist we've spoken with on the podcast. The new nonprofit will give out annual $2,500 scholarships and Shiva's pledged $10,000 from his personal college savings. The fund will also provide mutual aid cash assistance to cover travel expenses for transgender and non-binary families seeking gender-affirming care across state lines. We'll put a link in the show notes with more information on how to donate. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? Leave us a review and subscribe to our Hey Boise newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning for some early summer gardening tips with master gardener Gretchen Anderson. Bye. Bye.